At TQ, we aim to inspire trust through providing individuals with the tools needed to test and prove who they are in real time. In today's episode, particle physicist and quantum computing expert Sarah Malik talks about how quantum computers have yet to reach their maximum potential and why now is the time to get involved. Uh, yeah, so I am Sarah Malik. I'm a particle physicist, which means that I look at um, and study the fundamental building blocks of the of the universe. These are the tiny uh, subatomic particles that make up the, the universe and also the interactions between them. I've mostly been involved in the looking for dark matter, which is, you know, a quarter uh, of our universe is made of this very elusive, possibly a new, for, new form of matter that we have very little knowledge about. Um, so, it's, you know, intriguingly, everything that we're made of, everything on Earth and everything that we've ever observed with any of our instruments only makes up a very tiny fraction of the matter and energy content of the universe, only about a mere 5%. And the vast majority of it, so 95% of it, is made of some form of matter and energy that we have very little knowledge about. And a quarter of the universe is made of this dark matter. So this stuff is out there. Um, it, we know that it interacts with us gravitationally, uh, but we're trying to figure out what it's made of. We have you know, very little knowledge about it other than that. Uh, and so my research focused on trying to look for dark matter particles to try to figure out what it's made of, how it interacts with us, uh, etc. And so the experiment I worked on was the Large Hadron Collider at uh, CERN. So that's the, it's the most powerful particle collider in the world. So there we collide or we accelerate subatomic particles called protons to very, very close to the speed of light. And then we collide them head on. And this creates a you know, tremendous amount of energy. And then that energy goes into making new particles. And so we were hoping and we are still hoping that uh, one of the outcomes of these, one of these collisions will give us uh, particles that might constitute the dark matter that we see in, in the universe. Mm -hmm. um, it's been elusive until now. So I spent about 10 years of my career working on that. Um, and it it's, remains elusive uh, up till now. Uh, but we're, we're making progress. The, the collider is becoming more powerful. And so we're hoping that in the next phase of running, that we will see some signals of, uh, of these dark matter particles. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into quantum computing? Um, so quantum computing is obviously, uh, it has been much talked about, especially recently, is poised to be perhaps the big technological breakthrough of the 21st century. Um, these computers work in very different ways to the ones that we were used to, to the classical computers. And um, I think it's, it's the fact that you're, you're getting in on a technology that's in the very early phases where you don't really know what sort of, you know, we're expecting them to have this transformative influence in both science and society, but we don't yet know exactly what level of impact they will have. And this stage of development of quantum computing is, has been likened to uh, the way the classical computers were, say, in the 1950s, where you sort of needed a, a, you know, a, a room to house them, uh, they were very big. You needed a, a room uh, to put them in. And I think the, the sort of the pioneers of those computers at the time are uh, attributed to have said something like, you know, you won't need one of these in your in your home um, or they, they only see a market for about five of them. Uh, and yet in the intervening decades, of course, we've had this, uh, you know, hugely transformative influence. I mean, we carry in our pockets now something that's way more powerful than that that computer we had back in the 1950s. 
And I think it was impossible to have predicted just how pervasive and ubiquitous they were going to become. I think that quantum computers are at a similar stage of development where it's really not possible yet to see just how transformative they might be, both um, you know, how they might pervade our everyday lives and also how they might help us to uh, tackle some of these most challenging problems that we have in, for instance, in physics, for instance, in the search for dark matter. And so I think that's one of the most unique and uh, um, uh, unique features of them. And to, and to be able to get into them at this stage, I think there's, there's a sort of parading, uh, you know, idea in the, in, in, the, in the sort of system right now that people are, they have this fear of missing out. They're sort of wondering whether they should really be in it right now or they're going to miss out on the, on the benefits that this technology might provide. So how would you describe it to someone who had no idea what the concept was? One of the best ways that I've seen of, uh, of uh, describing this perhaps is using that, the analogy of a coin. So if you think about classical computers, so the fundamental unit of information that's used uh, you know, in classical computers is uh, the bit. So here the bit is, um, uh, is a unit of information that can only take on the values uh, zero or one. So if you think of this in terms of flipping a coin, you flip a coin and you either get heads or tails. That's it. That's analogous to your zero or one. In quantum computers, the fundamental unit of information is the qubit. And this qubit is, can not only take on the values uh, zero or one, but it can also take on um, any number of arbitrary linear uh, combinations of zero and one. So this is, you can think of this as analogous to flipping that coin and using that coin while it's still being tossed. So i.e. where you get, you have both, you know, the spinning coin where it has both heads and tails and you don't know until you sort of, uh, until you collapse it, whether it's, uh, whether it's a heads or tails. So you're working with a linear combination of both heads and tails at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this, um, so this feature called superposition uh, in the quantum, in the in quantum mechanics is very powerful and it allows you to do computations that are much more complex than ones that you could possibly do with a, with a classical machine. Um, not only that, uh, because we're, I'm working in the field of particle physics, where we're you know, ultimately dealing with quantum phenomena, we're working with quantum particles. And um, Richard Feynman is uh, you know, famously said to have um, remarked that if you want to study nature, you, you better make your device you know, able to study these quantum phenomena. And quantum computers should be able to do just that. So, you know, quantum computers should be very well poised to be able to study these quantum phenomena that we're doing in, in particle physics. So silicon-based quantum computing has recently reached 99% accuracy. What does that mean for the field? Um, I mean, this is a, obviously a, a great uh, milestone uh, for the field. So uh, one of the big obstructions, I guess, to sort of making very large scale quantum computers is that you want these qubits to be very, very, um, the, the errors are related to these qubits and the, the gates that we build from these qubits to have very, very low errors. And you want the errors to become so rare that what if you are, if, you know, you can, once you detect the errors, you, you're able to correct them. And that's sort of the way forward to building quantum computers that have a large enough scale and that are powerful enough to handle uh, computations that are meaningful for us, that are meaningful for uh, for tackling some of the real world problems. 
Mm-hmm. And so this uh, this sort of headway that we that we've made is is really a milestone in terms of getting to the these large scale quantum uh, quantum devices. So some scientists claim to have achieved quantum supremacy. How does this breakthrough affect the field? And do you think this will bring quantum computing to the forefront of the world and possibly? make it more more known and more accessible? Yeah, I mean, we saw this um, early on, I think in uh, 2019, when Google claimed quantum supremacy, I think they, they managed to do something, uh, a random sampling calculation in only just, a, just over three minutes or so. And they claimed that the classical machine would take uh, 10,000 um, 10, years or so to do that. Um, and I think most, most recently, this has, been, this has actually been demonstrated by, by China. So quantum supremacy is this benchmark of demonstrating that you can execute a problem on a quantum computer that would be pretty much interactable on a classical on a classical machine. And I think we're, you know, we've just made that breakthrough now. And so this is, we're at that point where uh, so quantum supremacy is that point at which we can't really simulate what these, what these computers can do. And so, you know, we're very much in that regime where we're emerging into this regime where we should be able to, we're heading towards that, towards that island where we should be able to do real world calculations, the sort of calculations that were, you know, that will address fundamental problems in particle physics, in, in chemistry, in material science, et cetera. Uh, and I think this is, a, this is a huge milestone in that development. TQ is a community of trusted experts who continuously test their skills and knowledge. The MyTQ app allows you to build your portable, irrefutable, professional reputation. MyTQ users can assess their skills against the ever-growing, traceable knowledge to reach expert level. You can contribute as a co-creator on the MyTQ app and help others grow their skills and knowledge. Find out more on tq.com.